Hey, welcome to Sound Guy Tips Podcast. This week, I am going to go over how I deal with the soundboard before sound check. So basically, I'm going to walk through how I deal with the channel strip on each channel to prepare for when a band gets there, depending on how much advanced information I have. Regardless, if I have none, I'm still going to do some prep so that I can make sure my sound check is painless and nothing goes wrong that I can influence. So let's get it going. Welcome to Sound Guy Tips. I've created this show because I am dedicated to sharing as much knowledge as I can about the world of live sound. Listen, getting into the world of live audio can certainly be intimidating, but I'm here to teach you the technical aspects, key mindsets, and how to thrive socially to stay on top of call lists, land an awesome house gig, or get yourself on retainer with a great touring band. So this is Sound Guy Tips. Now can we cut this music out? Oh man, I'm sick of all this inspirational crap. There we go, that's better. Hi, my name is Jonah Kay. Welcome to Sound Guy Tips Podcast. And thank you very much for tuning in and having a listen to what I have to say. So I'm going to be doing this episode in two parts. So this is part one. This week, I'm going to get a little bit more technical into what I do on a soundboard, regardless of what the board is. But, you know, I'm going to speak more so on, on a digital board. Um, it doesn't matter if it's a, you know, a Yamaha series, Digico series, uh, you know, Behringer, Midas, Allen and Heath, it doesn't matter. All of the basic digital boards come with the same functionality. Now, once you dive deeper, they do have differences in the way they choose to do certain things, but in terms of just, you know, locating where to adjust the gain and then how to apply the gates and the compressors and a, you know an EQ for each channel. That's mainly what I'm going to be talking about right now and setting those things up for each channel in advance before a band gets there, even if there's no advanced information. Now, I'm going to be using uh, a bunch of different gain settings and numbers uh, that could be a complete guess, but I am saying them based on what I would do just because I know that there's a certain range where everything sits even before I hear anything. So I am going to be saying those numbers and I hope they're comparable or agreeable to you know the common way people do things out there, but I'm just going off of what I do. So let's use an example where we're working at a festival and you have a band later that day and you're setting everything up from scratch, which means you're going to have a blank initialized console to work from and you have to start from nothing. You have your PA set, uh, set up and hooked up to make sure that that's working. Okay, so now assume your PA is powered on and routed correctly so that you have signal coming out of your left right of the soundboard and it's flat. You know, everything is EQ'd flat and you're starting off from, you know, right from the start and you need to get ready for a band. So the first thing I'm going to do is take my routing page on whatever the board is and I'm going to attempt to set up matrixes 
uh, to be running the system. So I'm going to take a, you know, a left and assign it to matrix one, the right assign it to matrix two. If you have your subs on a separate feed, you could make that matrix three. And then if you have any other zones, but let's just say that you have a PA that's in line left, right. So you just need a left and a right set up a matrix, pair them. Now you can play some music through the PA and go have a listen. Now you can adjust the EQ on those matrixes uh, to have the EQ for your front of house overall sound. That way the left right is left uh, untouched in case you want to be able to send a feed to somebody else and it will remain flat. It won't have an EQ from the room on it. Now you have to play a couple different songs to kind of feel out the room. So you could be in a room, you could be in a field. You could be in a band shell, you could be in a forest, you could be in a tent, you know, all of these different types of places have, you know, their own sonic challenges, the way the sound reflects. So you just have to make, um, you know, EQ adjustments until you're happy with the overall starting point. So if you haven't done this very much and you're like, well, what am I listening for? Well, it doesn't have to be very complicated. Everybody's heard music before and there's a general sense of whether it sounds right or not. Just listen. Is there too much low end? Just listen to the extremes, the low end extreme, the high end extreme. Is the low end, is there like low frequencies rolling around that are boomy and making it hard to hear the lyrics in the song? And again, you got to pick a song you're used to hearing and you know exactly how it sounds normally. Um, you know, listen to the top end for the cymbals and the, the hissing sounds, the really, really bright stuff, because that can take off on you really quick if it's, if it's uh, unbalanced to begin with, especially when you start dealing with cymbals and vocal mics. So you got to make sure that that sounds okay to begin with. And then just the mid, you know, you just break it into really just listen to the bass, the mid and the high, you know, and the treble, like just are those three seeming to be in balance? If you think, not bad. Sure. Okay. Well then go from there. This is a really low tech way of doing it, but you just listen to those three main things and then move on. Okay. So assuming you, we have a tech advance with an input list. Okay. So let's say we're dealing with a band that has a drum kit and a bass guitar, a couple guitar players, maybe an extra instrument like a DI for an acoustic or a DI for maybe a violin, and they have a keyboard player and four vocals, let's say three across the front and one for the drummer. So I'm going to start by labeling out the board and using any type of scribble, digital scribble strips, which is just the label above the channel that tells you what that channel is. Just go ahead and go through and label your board. Now, in the first our second episode of the, my podcast here, I went over a festival patch. Now I'm just going to go ahead and create the festival patch. Now, when I talked about it in that episode, it was, you know, the concept of why you lay it out that way. But all I did is talk about where it goes, not what to do with each channel. So, you know, go ahead, label out your board based on uh, the festival patch setup, which, you know, would be laid out drums, bass, guitars, uh, auxiliary DI instruments, anything in between, and then vocals, and then any channels you want to split for monitors if you're only running one desk. Now I know, I know, it's been almost eight minutes and I basically just went over stuff from other episodes. So let's get into it. So for the kick drum, 
we're going to be using a kick-in mic and a kick-out mic. So for the kick-in mic, I'm going to put a high pass probably up to about 100 hertz. And then I'm going to use one of the EQ, parametric EQ bands, and I'm going to set it at approximately 200 with a fairly wide Q. And I'm going to duck that down maybe five decibels, just so it's visible on the EQ that I'm doing something, but I haven't made an extreme move yet. Okay, so the kick in mic, I'm not going to want a lot of low end because I have to kick out mic. So the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to activate a gate on it and I'm going to dial the threshold up just a little bit. And then I'm going to set the attack fast, the release fast and the hold uh, short. And then I'm going to leave it activated. Next, I'm going to turn on a compressor and I'll probably leave it at a stock setting, maybe three to one, uh, not, not super hard. And I'll dial the threshold down just a little bit. Um, and then I'm going to turn the gain up to probably, you know, probably plus 10 just as a starting point, because I know that a kick drum mic is not going to sit with the gain at zero. Okay. You're going to have to add some gain to really get the punch out of the kick drum. So for the next channel, kick out, I'm going to do basically the same thing. I'm going to turn on a compressor, um, lower, the, you know, just dial the threshold down a little bit so it won't actually be, you know, compressing when it starts. But all I have to do is grab the threshold and dial it down just a bit till it's, you know, hitting. Um, and I don't actually have to turn it on and set the, you know, the ratio and stuff like that. I do that in advance based on roughly what I know. So EQ, I'm going to use a low pass, which is going to take out some high frequencies. And I'll probably dial that down, you know, all the way down to like, you know, a 1k range. And then I'm going to leave the bottom end open so that the low thump can come through this microphone. And then I'm going to do a similar EQ where I grab, you know, maybe around the 300 between two and 300 range, and I'll dip it down five dB with a pretty wide Q. So that's, you know, again, it's not making a huge move and it won't, affect it sonically too much but when I, as soon as i hear that kick hit i can quickly just grab that eq and drop it further if i need to because chances are those low mids need to come out of that kick out microphone um and again with the gate put the gate on you know set the release time to be quick the hold to be short and the attack to be fast because that's the you know the characteristic i want on the gate on the kick drum but i don't know if i need to use it yet so leave it on and just set the threshold so it's not really working yet as soon as you hear it you can dial it up right it's just preparing so you only have to make one quick move to apply it now if it says that they're going to be using kick triggers i'll leave the gain at zero I'll leave the EQ off. I'll leave everything off until I hear that sample and then I'll start uh, dealing with it. All right. So snare drum, I'm going to put a high pass filter up probably to about hundred Hertz to get rid of the sub frequencies. Um, then I'm going to probably take somewhere around the 800, 700 range. And I will dip that EQ down like two decibels with a, you know, a medium Q just so it's there and I can see that it's ready. Make sure the EQ is on and then, you know, you can turn on the gate and turn on the compressor the same way I did for the kick drum. So it's on and the ratios are set. The attack speed hold release times like that are set, but the threshold is like so that it's not even activating until you want it. You can just, you know, grab that knob and dial the threshold up and hear what it's doing if that's what you want uh, in that situation. Of course, it depends on the style of music and the way the person hits the drums and everything. Now for gain, 
I'm probably going to bring this to about a plus 10 and just leave it there. Because again, usually say we're using a 57 on the snare top, zero gain is not enough. You need to, you need to add some gain, but I don't know how hard this person's going to hit. So I'm just going to put it at plus 10 and see how that comes out from the start. Um, of course you don't need to do this, but this is just what I do because I'm comfortable with adding gain without hearing anything. So for the snare bottom mic, I'm going to do the exact same thing I did for the snare, but I'm going to put a high pass filter and I'm probably going to roll it up to about 300 just to get rid of all the low, anything low resonating coming off the drum kit, uh, is not going to be coming through that mic. This is just going to be for the snare sound. So next on the hi-hats. I'm going to leave the gain at zero just because I'm not totally sure how necessary it's going to be or what it's going to sound like with the with the person playing the drums. But I'm going to put a high pass filter on that up to 300 um, and just just leave it there. So when we're dealing with rack toms and floor toms, I'm going to be using the same approach that I did uh, when it came to the kick drum. So I'm going to put my EQ, my parametric EQ in the basic spots that I think I'm going to need to pull frequencies from. So at first I'm going to put a high pass filter probably at around 100 or 125 on a rack tom because a lot of the times you don't want that low resonating like boom sound coming. You just want it to be able to be punchy and be heard. So, and then I'm going to have points on the EQ, like probably around 200 maybe around 350 or 400 uh, and I'm going to literally dip them like two decibels with like a fairly wide cue. This way they're already in the spots that I'm guessing uh, I can just pull down and quickly sweep to like get rid of what I want but it's already active and they're already in the right spot. And then my, a top frequency I'm going to pick around 8,000 Hertz or like 8k or 10k. And I'm going to put a little bit of a spike, maybe up two decibels, just so I see it on the graph. And chances are, I'm going to want to spike that frequency 10, you know, eight to 10 K to get some snap out of the Tom, depending on how the player plays or the style of music. So the floor Tom, I'm going to be doing the same thing. Like I said, for the kick drum, turn on the gate, turn on the compressor, make the settings roughly how you might want them. Oftentimes I don't compress rack toms and floor toms, but just turn the gate on at minimum and have the thresholds dialed down again. So you don't really hear it. It doesn't do anything until you start hitting it. And then you can just grab the knob, turn it and set and like quickly dial it the way you need it and move on to the next thing instead of having to do all this in the moment while you're while someone's sitting there playing in front of you typically on rack tom and floor tom i will put the gain up to between plus 10 and plus 15 just right away just so when i turn up that fader or as soon as somebody starts hitting the drum you'll see the input level if it's hitting um you know i'm aiming for like you know just for the start of the orange you know so like pretty pretty hot on the preamp once it once they actually start playing right so if you have the compressor and the gate ready to go and you see a lot of signal you can just turn up the fader and it'll already be good and then you just quickly adjust for how the tom sounds through the mic and in the room and then move on to the next thing and these are also things you can have set up in advance so that you can just tell somebody hey just play the drums like you know don't go through one instrument at a time 
because when people go through one, you know, mic at a time, it's to do all these things that I'm just explaining now. And the amount of time it's taken me to explain just the drum kit, you know, you could do that in advance and not have wasted that. However much time it just took me to explain that is how long it would probably take me to do it. So you can have this stuff done and then just tell the guy, yeah, just play or girl. I don't know why I always do that. (laughs) So tell the guy, just play and then just start picking up all the lines. Just start turning up the faders because they should be approximately where they need to be. Uh, And then just quickly making adjustments, getting him to stop, maybe just play one Tom quickly so you can, you know, isolate a problem if there is any. But you can get through a drum kit. You should be able to get through a drum kit in like two minutes, really. Okay, maybe maybe five minutes. But still, I've you know I've watched guys test the kick drum for like thirty minutes, or like just hitting a floor tom for like fifteen twenty minutes, and I'm like literally like, what are you doing right now? Like literally, I can't figure out what you're doing because it sounds fine. Like it's not going to change. Like just move on. Okay, so the last thing would just be overheads. You know, I'll set those in a stereo pair and then so they're linked as, you know, you turn up one, it does it to both. They're panned left, right, and I'll just leave the gain at zero and I'll throw a high pass filter on up to probably about 300 to really just, you know, eliminate any of that low rumbling from the drum kit. You know, some guys like to get the bottom end of the snare and, you know, the, really hear the toms through the overheads. Now, I haven't really worked uh, in situations where the overheads are very dominant in the sense that you can still really hear the acoustic kit in the room. Uh, obviously, in outdoor scenarios, the cymbals just go into the air and you need to really add them into the PA more. Um But, you know, that's a scenario where you can figure that out once you hear it. But just to prepare, you know, make a stereo pair, put a high pass filter on it so that, you know, you're not going to get low rumbling from the drum kit and then move on. Okay, so for bass guitar, I'll leave the gain at zero because the bass is one of those instruments that has the widest ranges of input level that I've found. So it could come in, it could come at you and it could be clipping your channel already or it could come at you and you don't even see signal because it's so low. It, you know, it's the variance is so much that I'll just leave the gain alone because I have no idea what it's going to be. And I will turn on a compressor, set the ratio pretty hard like maybe five to one six to one seven to one like so it's it's crushing it pretty bad and then i'll just leave it there and i'll wait to see the signal uh and then i'll deal with it then so for eq same thing i don't know what the what tone's going to get thrown at me in this scenario so i will leave the eq flat and be ready to adapt to you know what's going to happen but just make sure the button is clicked on so that the EQ is active. You know, the main thing I'm talking about here is going through and making sure all the things are already active on the channels you want them to be. So it's one less button click or one less mistake or, you know, five or 10 seconds wasted looking for something when you should be just dealing with uh, the, the sound that you're hearing at that moment so you can make it through sound check. Or even worse, the, the band doesn't have a sound check and you literally have to do this line check style on the fly. And the first song is the sound check and the show is already going. So you need to have all these things in place. 
So for guitar, this is electric guitar. So if I'm using, let's say I'm using a 57 um, on the guitar amp, I will put a high pass filter up to about 180. Um, you know, I still like having the 200 range on an electric guitar, depending on what's going on. So, you know, a lot of the meat and, you know, roundness and fullness comes from the two to 300 range. So if you cut that out to begin with, you're, you know, you could be cutting into the band's sound. So probably around 180 is a good call. And then I will gain that mic up to about plus 14 or plus 15. Um, you, you do need it some decent amount of gain. So if, I set it there because that's roughly where I like it. You know, I could go up to plus 20 depending on how quiet they have their amp. But if, if you have it set at plus 14, plus 15 roughly, and they start playing and it's way too loud, then you know, it's too loud off the stage already. The source is too loud. Or if you have it up to there and they're playing and you turn it, the fader up to zero and it's like, uh, you can still barely hear it and you have to add, you know, a lot more like double that amount of gain. You might want to turn the amp up a bit, uh, to balance out. So you're not over gaining the mic because it makes the field too wide and you can have feedback issues. Like, especially if people want that guitar spread around all the monitors. Now I, I typically don't necessarily need to have a gate for this, but I do like to have a compressor ready to use uh, because sometimes people's tone changes from song to song are out of control and volume and you never know. So having a compressor ready is pretty helpful. When I'm preparing for acoustic guitars or other DI instruments like keyboards, you know, those are the two, you know, typical, most common ones you're going to get. All I do is check the line with a microphone like I would for every other line, you know, and I'll, I'll get to I'll get to that. But basically, all I'm doing is plugging it in and activating the EQ, activating the gate and compressor, but without, you know, the thresholds of them set to actually do anything. They're just on and ready to receive a signal. And then, you know, like I was just saying, so you know, after I've done all this, I'll go through each line with a microphone and talk through it and make sure that I'm getting signal back to the board through each one of these lines that have been labeled so that I at least know all my patching works. So one thing I should also mention is once I get done a group, like say drums, I'll go to DCAs and I'll make a DCA and I'll select all the drums and then I'll you know, and as I go through the board and do all these little things, I'll also do the DCA groups as I go. And then once I get to the end, I already have my DCA groups there and just left up at zero and unmuted so that I can utilize them quickly during a check. So moving on to vocals, I think a vocal mic is the thing that could get the most treatment in advance before a sound check just because of having to deal with stage monitors and feedback. So I basically have my vocal mics ready for a singer. Um, and I usually only have to do some slight EQing after I'm done with it based on the person's voice. Uh, everything else is essentially preset up. So if I have the channels available, I will split these channels so the main one goes to front of house and the back and then you know the secondary channel can go to the monitors 
So I'll set up those channels and make sure I have something for the monitors and something for front of house in advance, again, before the band gets there. So because they share a gain, let's say I'm using an SM58, super basic vocal microphone and really common. I'm just going to go ahead and put the gain up to like plus 24, plus 25, because that's typically a good spot for it. Like that's it usually works unless somebody's like screaming their face off and you got to drop it way down. Um, you usually, depending on the person or the environment, you don't want to gain it up too much more than that. Uh, you can, but that's where I start. I just, there you go. Gain plus 25. So next I would typically be wanting to have a microphone at the soundboard, considering the soundboard is out front in a front of house position. Uh, if it is in the ideal middle of the speaker's front of house position, just plug in a vocal mic there and start talking into it. It's going to be, you basically want to make your voice sound like your voice coming out of the speakers. And that's something you kind of have to develop over time with experience with how you want your voice to sound. And until you get it there, you got to keep making small adjustments. But really what you're doing is just trying to get it stable and loud. So after that, you know, you can move on to ringing out the wedges. So you're going to want to have grabbed some graphic EQs and assign them to each bus mix so that you have uh, an ability to use a graphic EQ for ringing out the wedges. And then you're going to take the vocal mic that you've split and use the secondary channel and start bringing it into a wedge mix. Now, you can just go listen to the episode I, I made for how I would ring out monitors and do that process copy and paste that over to all the vocal mics and then at least your vocals have a starting point and the vocals are in each mix that they're sitting in front of you know ready to at least start so another thing i'll do on the vocals is the channels that i'm using to send to front of house for the audience i will you know sometimes i like to take them out of the left right send and uh, create a bus send for them. So the vocals have another set of uh, fader control and EQ control. So I send them all to a bus, which then that bus, I have the ability to add compression and an EQ for the overall sound of the vocal mics. So this is where I might do the EQing uh, up front on how I want the mics to sound uh, just to have basic control. So I might leave the EQ on the channel strip flat and just EQ this bus mix. So add the high pass to the bus, uh, you know, maybe drop a little bit of low mids out of the bus. Now you have a universal EQ over all the vocal mics so that they sound the way you want and they're normalized, so to speak. So now when a singer goes to uh, do sound check, you can make musical choices of how to adjust the EQ for their voice, but you're starting with a blank canvas. Your EQ is flat. So you just make moves that are appropriate for their voice. You're not EQing over top of what you're seeing that you, you made adjustments for for stability. So you know, if you can separate those two, you might have better luck with overall tone. So another thing I might set up in advance is if I have another free bus mix, which usually I do, uh, I'll set up a compression, like a parallel compression type bus. So 
all I do is just activate the compressor on the bus and I start sending instruments that I might want to compress together and feather them in. So if you're not familiar with the parallel compression technique, maybe I can cover that in another episode or just literally YouTube it like it's not that complicated, but all it basically is is taking groups of things that you want to compress together, crushing them pretty hard, and then just feathering it in a small amount into the mix. And that overcompressed sound just feathered in gives all those instruments some glue and boosts them uh, all together. So the dynamics, so they, they, they sound more together and, and less separated. So I might send the bass Uh, the electric guitars, the acoustic guitars, the keyboards, basically all the instruments that don't have massive impacts like a floor tom or a kick drum because those low end, those big instruments with big giant impacts will destroy the compression and wreck all the other instruments in there. So I leave those out of the parallel compression bus. Um, But I'll set this up in advance and then I'll just leave the bus completely off and then it's a decision how much i want to add in if at all depending on the band but it's just something i quickly set up in advance so i'm at about almost 30 minutes into the episode right now so i've spent probably about 20 minutes describing how to set this stuff up now if you're relatively familiar on a board and you've used it a couple of times at least and you're starting from a blank slate like how I started the description, it should take you approximately the length of time it took me to describe it all. That's It shouldn't take much more time than that. So it should eat up about 20 minutes of you sitting there at the desk, punching in all these things, you know, looking at looking it over, asking yourself if you've, you know, covered off anything that might pop up during a sound check. And if you don't do these things or just, you know, cross them off your mental checklist before you have to actually put mics up on an instrument and then actually start getting sounds or dealing with a high pressure situation where you have either an audience in front of you or you have, uh, you know, a, a band that's expecting a quick sound check for, you know, many reasons, there's time pressures. Um, you need to have these types of things set up on the board in advance you know, to really help you out and make sure that you can get through soundcheck. And if you don't have these things ready, you're going to run into a lot of problems and you're going to have to be like telling the musicians to wait like, oh, you know, multiple times during a check. And then they'll just kind of sit there while you do these things under extreme pressure. And you know that, you know, they're just sitting there watching you and wondering what's going on when you could have spent that, you know, 20 to 30 minutes and get all that done on the board beforehand and you can make quick moves and more so rely on instinct of how things sound because you've already done all the little technical back end stuff. So I'm going to leave it there and next episode I'm just going to go into what, you know, it's going to kind of further describe what I would do in different scenarios if I heard certain things. Now, I know that this is a tough thing to actually describe and translate properly without actually seeing me touch the soundboard or actually hear the sounds that I'm describing of what I would change in certain scenarios. So I definitely am going to be making an updated new video of how I would walk through a sound check. 
Um, so to help further, you know, describe these two episodes. So stay tuned for that. Thank you all again for listening and I'll catch you next time.